You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. And welcome back to Stage Door Podcast. Today we are bringing back deep dives, but before we get into that, Tori, take it away with the bulletin. Hi guys, Gareth here. Unfortunately, due to technical difficulties, Tori can't join me for this one. But not a worry, we're still ready, willing, and able to give you our full review of the new theatre's production of David Williamson's The Removalists. Now this is a classic piece of Australian theatre that many of us may recognise from our days of HSC drama, but for those who don't know, the story follows two police officers in Melbourne, one fresh-faced new recruit and one grizzled sergeant, assisting a woman and her sister safely move out of a violent home and the violent relationship therein. What follows is an examination of the microcosm of 1970s Australia, systems of power, the bystander effect, and the most frightening aspects of what we would now call toxic masculinity. Thematically, the piece is still as relevant today as when it was written. The concept of power imbalance in relationships, the continued cycle of abuse that women face from systems designed and maintained by men, and the ease in which these systems are maintained, all of this remain constant, even 50 years after the play's writing and first performance. One wonders whether we should applaud David Williamson's foresight, or be terrified at the implications this has for our society. In terms of casting, Lloyd Allison Young as the impressionable Constable Ross is a prime example of a new police recruit, quickly drawn into a system that brings out the worst in both police and men. Lawrence Coy as Sergeant Simmons cuts an imposing figure of a man who knows exactly what control feels like and how to maintain it in any situation. But unfortunately, the effect wears thin after a hundred minutes of what can be described as shouty vocal usage. Eliza Nichols and Shannon Ryan play their parts as Fiona and Kate to a T, and Xavier Coy's detached removalist is a stark, frank reflection of the bystander mentality in both his reactions and his work ethic. In terms of standout actors, the casting choice of Alfie Gledill as Kenny Carter not only allows his natural talent for detailed craftsmanship to come through, but it also raised a remarkable theme that Williamson did not address in his breakthrough piece the casual approach of violence towards people of colour by the police force. In a stark 30 seconds to a minute of police brutality, the audience is shocked into total silence as an act of sheer, unadulterated violence and extreme force is committed against Carter, starkly reminiscent of the 2020 murder of George Floyd. The audience's silence mimicking that of the titular removalist, whose only care is the truck he runs raising the question of how should we react when faced with such a blatant crime, the question being especially prevalent when the victim has been shown to be nothing but an aggressive domestic abuser for the last 90 minutes. The questions raised by the piece are still unanswered. The new theatre's production of The Removalists is running from now until the 22nd of May. For tickets, head to newtheatreorgau slash theremovalists. We would also like to add it may be wise to research trigger warnings before attending the production. And now, back over to Eliza for the rest of the show. Before we start today's episode, we would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of this land on which we work, live and record, and recognise their continuing connection to land, water and community. We pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging. There is no better way to start off 2021 than with a deep dive chatting all things Phantom of the Opera. We are very excited to announce Gareth Isaac will be coming on board as a regular co-host for our deep dives, alongside being our resident Sydney reviewer alongside Tori while I'm in Brisbane. Let's bring to the mic 
Gareth, tell the audience, I really should do this when there's not food in my mouth. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> keep it in, keep it in. Bear in mind, it's it's eight o'clock in the morning here, so we're all we're all got we've all got we're our doing teas this. and our crumpets. Speak for yourself, I'm fine. We're doing this early because I have to get my COVID vaccine, so um, yeah, get get that jab of science mm. juice into you. Um, but yes, hello, Tori and Libby. Thank you guys so much for having me back on the podcast. If you want to know more about me, listen to season one, episode fifteen of Stage Door Pod, and I do my whole. You memorized there. it. <laughs> you know which episode it is. Of course I do. <laughs> what do you think? I came in unprepared. That's nonsense. Um, but yes, hello <laughs> to everyone listening to Stage Door Pod. I'm Gareth Isaac. I am a musical theatre performer, actor, singer, writer, dancer. If the money's good, as I leave on my bio. I performed in a play called Puffs. I toured the east coast of Australia with that and took out a Woo! Best Actor award. Thank you, Tori. That's obnoxiously loud on these that. headphones. Always <laughs> 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 uh, need a hype girl. Yeah. Uh, long story short, I am an avid lover of all things musicals. It's my career. It's my heart. It's my joy. And I'm so thrilled to be doing this deep dive with you and to be coming on board as your one of your resident Sydney reviewers. We are absolutely thrilled to have you because honestly, uh, we've had some great chats about theatre and we've um, actually, Gareth recently has been doing his Masters in Voice and had the opportunity at NIDA, but had the opportunity to come to the Queensland Con and shadow one of the voice teachers up there, which actually happened to be my voice teacher. So Gareth and I were at the con in the same classes, which was awesome. Well, you were in the class. I sat in the corner and took notes on everyone's voice usage and what the teacher was doing. <laughs> so, you know, kind of a different experience. <laughs> and I was here in Sydney by myself. Oh, Tori. <laughs> Way to make us feel bad. Hold on, break out the violins. Thank you. Yeah, I need a tiny violin, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So now that we've all established that we're running on fumes, shall shall we kick off? (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Well, before we get started today, we thought we'd give a short recap of the storyline and some information on Phantom, just because, you know, if you don't know it, well, you should, uh, but in case you don't. Yeah, spoilers for 1986 coming up, guys. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) The Phantom of the Opera, with music by Andrew Lloyd Webber, lyrics by Charles Hart and libretto by Lloyd Webber and Richard Stilgo, is based on the 1910 horror novel by Gaston LaRue. The Phantom of the Opera is a romantic and thrilling story of the legendary Phantom, a musical genius who dwells deep beneath a majestic opera house in Paris. The Phantom is shunned by society for his horrifying facial deformity. He takes a promising young soprano, Christine, under his wing and grooms her for operatic fame, all the while falling deeply in love with her. As Christine grows ever more successful and a handsome young man from her past begins to successfully court her, the Phantom descends into a jealous rage and terrorises the opera company with increasingly dangerous threats. Andrew Lloyd Webber's score soars with such famous tunes as Think of Me and All I Ask of You, The Music of the Night, and the title song The Phantom of the Opera. And Phantom has gone on to become one of the most successful musicals of all time. When originally creating Phantom, Macintosh and Lloyd Webber looked at films based on the 1910 French horror serial novel, but found no real inspiration for a musical on the subject until finding an actual copy of the out-of-print novel in a bookshop. 
There was already a musical based on this novel by Ken Hill in 1976, who Lloyd Webber actually collaborated with on Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. This version of the musical utilised actual classical operatic songs written by Offenbach, Verdi and Dvorak with original English lyrics to tell the story of the novel. Hill was ultimately approached by Macintosh and Lloyd Webber to work on their version of Phantom, but the project ultimately went ahead without him. Ooh. Well, <laughs> just like stuff you were going at with us, sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I think that was ultimately it. Maybe Hill just didn't want to be involved in saying, oh, I don't want to rewrite my piece with Andrew. That's not, that's not my vision. Although, a very little fun fact... Sarah Brightman, the original Christine and Andrew Lloyd Webber's now ex-wife, was actually approached for the role of Christine in Hill's 76 Phantom. I thought it was so funny because, um, you know, she's a bit of the muse behind it. Is she the muse behind uh, the other one? No, I, I don't think so. <laughs> I think I think Miss Brightman think has so. a certain amount of honor behind her. <laughs> she was like for you no but for you yes for this yeah. t- for this tiny weasel man yes what who said that oh it's I, I got some hot takes on phantom you've picked the right person for this deep dive i know i was gonna say so when we when we approached gareth and i was like okay so what musical pops out to you as being like the one that you would love to do first and he was like phantom of the opera we didn't just approach gareth just about doing phantom of the opera and I'm sure it's already been made clear, but we actually approached Gareth as coming on to do deep dives as having that third voice. It's also nice having um, a male perspective as well. Not that we always necessarily think differently, but it's just nice. Libby and Gareth spoke, yeah, well, they were in Queensland. Eliza came back yeah. to me and said, um, oh, Gareth really loves Phantom of the Opera. And it was like, well, then that's the, that, that's a, you know. That's where we're going. That's what we've got That's to do That's what we're first. doing. And I do just enjoy that the, the fact that only point I think I've made in this document so far is that Raoul deserved better. That <laughs> <it>. <laughs> yes, indeed. The rest is all just me um, splurging my knowledge of this musical. It is top three for me. I utterly adore it. It's only pipped by the Pirates of Penzance, which maybe we'll deep dive later. Who knows? Um... But I feel Phantom does have a remarkable amount of uh, current prevalence and relevance to the theatrical mm. uh, world, and especially in Australia at the minute, because it's going to be one of Opera Australia's first big shows coming back. So it's nice to talk about it and see where it's come from, where it's going, and ultimately why people enjoy it so much and why it's coming back in the first place. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm really interested about that production because... Um, like you said, that they're, they're revamping a few things in the West End version and possibly in Australia. Oh yes, we we sh- we shall get to we shall get to that. Don't you worry, my dear. That is going that is that is going to be approached. We are kind of going to let uh, Gareth take a lead for these episodes. Obviously, we all have strong opinions, so I will. Um, rebuttal whenever I feel like it, but we are going to. Oh no, like... no! Please jump, jump in when you need to, because I will not <laughs> stop. <laughs> We're like, we've got, we've got it's an right. hour, guys. I've got thoughts. We've got this. We've got an hour. Let's jump on in, starting with one of my favourite parts of this musical, the composition. It's not without its controversy, but let's start with the positives. 
Uh, Lloyd Webber emulated the styles of a bunch of different operatic composers such as Meyerbeer, Mozart, and even Gilbert and Sullivan operettas in the creation of Phantom. Lloyd Webber, not being a lyricist himself, originally approached the now late great Jim Steinman to write lyrics for the show. So this was the man behind Meatloaf's Bad Out of Hell and a lot of fantastic classic rock albums. But unfortunately, Jim turned down the offer as he was working on a Bonnie Tyler album at the time. And then Lloyd Webber, okay, let's shift left, approached Alan J. Lerner, as in Lerner and Lowe, as in My Fair Lady. This gentleman contributed to the show as well, most notably the entirety of the song Masquerade, but withdrew from the production due to illness and went entirely uncredited for his efforts. I find that ridiculous because, come on, Mm. like, Masquerade is one of the best, best bits of Phantom. Like, I love Masquerade. Like, most notable. It's one of the strongest Act 2 openers in the industry, I, I have to give it that label, if only because the minute that curtain rises and you see the sheer opulence of the design, of the costuming, of all the masks, the audience can't do anything but gasp and clap. How many other shows that you know can do that? My God. Yeah, no, I think that that's... The, all I can think of is, and of course, it, it being like 8.30 in the morning, my brain can't think of what it is. The only thing that I can think that kind of is as exciting, but it's also a much slower excitement is, uh, is it 42nd Street where the curtain slowly rises and you can see all the tap shoes underneath the Ah, yeah. But even then, that's more of like a slow burn. It's like a, you know, it's like a slow excitement. Whereas for Phantom, the curtain opens and you're... You're just confronted by the beautiful costumes, the amazing staging and set design. And just those voices pretty much start Mm -hmm. straight away. 42nd Street, I can compare to the slow cabaret fans where you're slowly revealing the girl. A phantom is just like, Mm -hmm. boom, the robe's off. Here we are. Yeah, you you can do nothing (laughs) but appreciate, I suppose. I I do love that they... uh, that he, that Andrew Lloyd Webber reached out to Jim Steinman because that's just, I didn't know that previous to now, but that makes so much sense when thinking of, especially like Phantom of the Opera, um, thinking of the, like the, the style and like the rock kind of essence that it has. But I also would love to hear what it would have been like if he had have come on board. Yeah, I feel like Steinman's input would have really changed the end product given his dark gothic nature his love of rock and roll he would have had something to say about all the instrumentation of the piece it would have been insane but you know respect to steinman for respect to steinman for sticking with bonnie tyler because apparently that album was amazing and respect to mr lerner for doing masquerade yeah these two weren't the only guys that we uh lloyd webber approached uh we mentioned richard stilgo in the introduction who wrote most of the original songs for the show but all of these were then reworked by charles hart who was a favored lyricist of lloyd webber and mackintosh who later went on to write all the lyrics for aspects of love a lot of stilgo's contributions lie in the spoken libretto sections which are ultimately few and far between in a very sung through show like this. Yeah. Well, exactly. There's not a lot of dialogue within the show at all. It's mostly no. music. Yeah, which I think was the style at the time, because of course this was the mm. same era as Les Misérables, the Evitas, the Starlight mm. Expresses. It was everything was sung through at this point. I think we just got tired of words and needed emotion. Oh, too right. Too right, but and this is some... definitely. I, I would say that that um, sucking through style of show is kind of on the way 
you know, obviously we have a lot more, much more contemporary shows now, which are quite dialogue intensive, um, intensive, intense. I don't know. English is hard. Um, but I feel like that sung through style of show is starting to come back purely just from my personal experience in what I'm currently working on that. And I see, I really quite enjoy sung through shows because sometimes with a show, there's just a bit too much dialogue and I'm just like, you know, a musical is kind of that whole thing of the emotion is too intense for words. That's the entire point of musicals, is that there is literally no other way for a person to communicate their ideas and their thoughts and their emotions. I think dialogue in musicals is necessary. I mean, it's the entire reason the industry exists. I mean, Oklahoma, first book musical, spawned a revolution from the Gilbert and Sullivan operetta era. But yeah, I think things are falling backwards now and we're losing a lot of dialogue and even from the 80s to now there's a lot of musicals that are just straight sung through and they're very fucking yep. cool we all agree we all agree this is a not we ve- all agree. this is not an argumentative podcast at all um <laughs> no, no no we're not, not turning yet into, we're not going full joe rogan experience yet so we yeah. uh we talked about the composition <laughs> other than that this show seemed to bring together a powerhouse of production team members direction was by the legendary mm. hal prince now past choreography by Gillian lynn aka the genius mm-hmm. behind every movement in cats also now deceased and the design and the costuming that we mentioned earlier was by the late maria bjornson Please note this, that three of these production members responsible for so many iconic members, iconic moments of this production have now passed. It's a damn shame, but that just shows you how long this show has been going on for. Oh, I was just going to say, it was really interesting because when when I was doing a little bit of research for, um, for this episode, I looked into more of the costume set things because I thought... Like for me, Phantom is just so spectacular in, and it stands out because of that reason. Like people go to see this show purely for like the opulence of how beautiful the set and costume are because they are like incredible. And Sam Fleming, who is like the current uh, in he- ahead of like costume and everything at Phantom, she said that Beyonce was interested in developing the show and over time that they had done five different new sculptures for the Phantom Mask itself because she kept wanting it to be more interesting. And she also said that I'm sure if Maria was alive today, she'd still be improving the show because she was that kind of person. And I think that's exactly what Phantom is. Oh, goodness, yes. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, Phantom is ever, ever evolving and the costume and set, I feel like it almost evolves over time, especially the mask. Like, there's so many versions of that mask. Um, Every phantom mask has to be moulded to the face of the current phantom or the swings. If anyone else were to wear it, it would actually ruin the moulding, and that would cost hundreds and hundreds of dollars to get it fixed. One mask. While we're on the mask, actually, you've seen the classic two-sided mask on the... uh, all the promotional material for phantom, but the phantom only wears half a mask in the production. This is purely yeah. because during the original workshops, Colm Wilkinson, a.k.a. Jean Valjean, <laughs> uh, was workshopping Phantom with Lloyd Webber. And because he was wearing the traditional two-sided mask that covered most of his face, no one could hear a damn word he was saying. Oh. Yeah. That's lit- literally it. But I also think it is far more interesting, and I'm going to have a point in a second about the set design. Um, I think it's far more interesting having 
half because I feel like it's almost easier just to go with a full face mask. Like it would make like life for everyone so much easier in terms of like, that's that, you know, it's, it's covering the full face. Whereas having that half face and also the way that throughout the show, he almost becomes, it's not necessarily it becomes more deformed, but the, the bits that are hiding the deformity become less and less and less. But I feel like if you had a full face mask, there's less opportunity for, you know, ripping it away from his face would be, have a completely different meaning. You also wouldn't get to see any of that emotion mm. having a full face mask. I think it would such, I'm so glad that it doesn't work having yeah. a full face mask. Well, considering that, uh, stage phantoms deformity was rewritten from the original novel's deformity like mm. um it's distinctly less deformed than it was in the novel in the novel eric yeah, which is the phantom's well. name yeah for good reason in the novel yeah. eric which is the phantom's name and that pertains yeah. in some of the material of the show but ne- never mind that's beside the point um <laughs> he is missing he is missing his entire nose. He basically has no eyelids, nothing from the forehead Voldemort? up. Oh, yeah, pretty much. He's, he's basically Voldemort with musical ability. Oh, my God. Oh, no, now that's all I can picture. Oh, A love story about good. Voldemort. We love that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that exists in some fan fiction website deep within the bowels of the internet. Um... But yeah, they just reduced the size of the mask and reduced the deformity to such an extent that the actor could actually be heard and I assume hairline microphones wouldn't have been a thing because all the wigging and prosthesis involved. It's it's a lot. It's a big process. Um, Yes, it is. Yeah, and I I can only imagine if if they had kept kind of like full face deformity, how much extra time for special effects, makeup, and all that kind of stuff. But I do want to, I want to take a step back to what um, Eliza said previously about how people, not only do they go to see Phantom because it is, you know, one of the most iconic musicals of all time, um, but also because of the spectacle of the show. Now, we've been having a conversation recently in a class that I'm taking, and there's someone in particular (laughs) I don't quite agree with when they say that Theatre has become too much about the spectacle. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some shows that I do occasionally see where I'm like, ah, you know, the 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 set design can occasionally take away from the acting and such. But I don't often personally think so. It's there to contribute to what is happening on stage. And I have heard, like, Phantom of the Opera was specifically an example that this person that I was having this discussion with used. Don't forget, it's set in Paris in a beautiful opera house. Of course it's going to be opulent and a little bit over the top. And even then, I think the set is still quite minimal for what they could do if they really wanted to. Having all of those pieces tells a part of the story. And I feel like if you were to take that away, like, yes, of course, the the scoring and the actors and everything are still amazing. And so are the songs. But that plays a part in the story. Like, for example, like for something like Frozen, the set still p- plays a part in the story. And I think that that should never be like taken for granted. Because if you were to take that all away, yes, the show would still be good, but there would be something missing. Oh, definitely. And so I think that, like, yes, it is definitely, like, a spectacle to have, you know, the chandelier especially 
was spoken about as being unnecessary. And I was like, well, well, please don't back. But like, yeah. that's part of the reason that I see the show to begin with. Because that is such an important part of the story. It's so important. Like, I remember sitting in the Majestic Theatre on Broadway, watching that chandelier go up. I was like, oh, yes, this is what I'm here for. This is delightful. (laughs) And it was aided and made necessary by the scoring that was playing as it rose into the air. Yep, that's, that's what you get with a Lloyd Webber show. And I think it's also about, like, for centuries now, ever since you look at how how theatre originated and you look at how it's gone, theatre is also supposed to be for entertainment. And part of that is sets and costumes. Part of that is the the spectacle. Like, people want to go to the theatre and see something that is not a part of their everyday life. They want to be transported into a world that is that is so different from their own, that is in Paris at the opera and they want to see what that's like yeah. and they want, to, they want to transport themselves without having to go all the way to Paris or be in an opera house at that period of time. They want to bring it to them and live it yeah. on stage, you know? Exactly. And I think that right now as well there is such this thing and I think there's nothing wrong with having a message in your show. Like you look at things like Jagged Little Pill has a lot of um, – imagery and a lot of messages throughout that show but they don't it's not in a way where you leave like oh wow that's that's heavy like you definitely still leave with that thing and like even phantom still has a really strong message about it but i find that some of these people that are saying that uh, the theater has become too like opulent or anything like yes you can strip back shows like look at things like i've seen a production of bright star where it was pretty much just the one set piece and it was still fantab- fantabulous. <laughs> Fantastic. You're, al- you're allowed to make up words. It's your podcast. Fantabulous. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Pandabidozy. <laughs> but that particular show allows for that. Mm. Whereas things like Phantom, Frozen, 42nd Street, like, that's part of the experience of mm-hmm. theatre. And people do need to keep remembering that theatre is there for entertainment. We're there yeah. to entertain. We are there to, like you said, Eliza... Be ta- like be taken into this world and when there's no set there or very minimal set it feels so much more just like you're just like watching a bunch of people up on stage sing which is obviously what you're doing but you want to be a part of that world that they themselves are in so I think that it's you know important to to keep that in mind because having that whole conversation I was like yes but theater is not just purely about having a message like I know that that is a, a big I don't want to say trend, but at the moment, so many people when writing things are like, so what's like the hard hitting thing mm. that I'm trying to say? And I'm like, well, you don't, you don't always necessarily have to have that. I if you want to write a piece where people just sit there and enjoy their time, that's okay too. Exactly. That's what theater and, is. And the romance and the design of Phantom is clearly one audience's over for years and years. I mean, look at everything mm-hmm. it's done. Like, the original West End yeah. versions got two Olivier Awards. The Broadway run won seven of the ten Tonys it was nominated for. That's not a bad bloody ratio. And the West End yeah. production, before the year that was 2020, was the third longest running show on the West End after The Mousetrap and the second longest running musical after Les Mis. Like, it's clearly doing insane. it's doing something right. On Broadway, it's the longest running musical. It's hit 10,000 yeah. performances. It's in. It's insane, and I think like I don't. I don't think I've done anything in my life ten thousand times. 
Oh no, now I'm questioning everything. Let's not get into that. Oh God. <laughs> um, I think, yeah. And I think rightly so that it is still on Broadway. There are certainly shows that I wish were still playing, like that I wish never had to leave Broadway, but at the same time, they kind of have their time. Whereas Phantom, the way that they keep casting and, and they keep, you know, you know, costumes will never completely change, but they'll change slightly. Mm. There'll be little things that kind of change along the way because they are. And the way that I feel Maria has kind of designed, like the physical side of the show allows for it to grow with time and have those changes. It's never going to be made, you know, minimalistic or anything like that. No, God but no. it is allowing it to grow and change with time and as the cast change and as the orchestra changes and things like that. And as the story does take on new meaning over time, just naturally, as with any show, like, you know, stuff happens like 2020, like COVID, there are going to be those little aspects that you kind of, when you're watching the show, you kind of go, oh, that's kind of like what's happening right now. Um, mm. I'm going to stop talking now because I took some <laughs> major um, uh, detour just then about... <laughs> about yeah, the we, we went very philosophical there about the nature of theatre in and of itself. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, Tori, Tori bringing up the current state of like Phantom changing, that does bring up, I suppose, the spiciest topic I've got here, which is the current the current state of the show and it's going to inspire a lot of opinion i think so there's only oh. one only one production of phantom running in the world at the moment and that's gwb entertainment's asian tour which at the time of recording is currently in taiwan there's at least two versions nice. of the show currently being worked on that's the australian and the west end version it should be stated yes because but... west end is going to be back, opening back up again soon yeah july i'm fairly certain Ooh. Yeah. yeah, it should be with uh, the first person of colour to be playing the full track of Christine rather than just an understudy, which we are so here for oh and gosh. thrilled about. It's phenomenal seeing that. And I also got very confused when seeing that because I'm also aware that currently, I believe Broadway, they're doing an open casting for Christine as well. Like they are openly casting it. Anyone who I believe is over the age of 18 Maybe it's, is it 21 in America? I'm not sure. But over a certain age, anyone, yeah, anyone can submit for the role of Christine, which I think is phenomenal. But yes, the fact that we have the first person of color who is, yeah, like you said, not an understudy, not a swing, is playing the role of Christine is so exciting because it is, and it's like, because it is a role Seriously, within theatre, this ha- this is everywhere. But, like, it seriously is a role that can be played by anyone. Exactly. And like, obviously, you've got to have the voice. Yeah. <laughs> keeping in mind, you've got to have the voice. But if you have that voice, it can be played by anyone. Hmm. And that's what, where I'm going with this now. Because it should be stated that both the Australian and West End versions of The Phantom of the Opera are being reworked. The West mm-hmm. End, to some degree of controversy... I don't have the details on the Australian audition, Australian edition mm. other than it is being publicised as a quote-unquote new version by most publications, but mm. the West End is making some pretty dramatic changes. Now, what? the design on the show, like all of Bjornsson's classic stuff, has been different since the UK tour in 2019. It was intended to make mm-hmm. the show lighter, easier to travel, and Bjornsson's iconic angel centerpiece from the mm. proscenium arch yeah. was removed from the show entirely, which does ch- does change a little bit of the Hal Prince's direction because, of course, uh, 
closing of Act 1, the Phantom is sitting on that angel doing the I gave you my music rendition of uh, All I Ask of You, which is really cool and haunting. But following the closure of the West End production after 33 years due to COVID, Cameron McIntosh announced several changes would be made to the show, which has inspired a bit of discussion in the theatrical world. The design, direction, and choreography of the West End version would be, quote, reworked by a new team, and the orchestra size would be reduced from 27 parts to 14, with the rest, I believe, being digitised. Cameron McIntosh was quoted as saying, I don't know why musicians would want to be playing the same pieces again and again. Full quote, we're not running the civil service, we're creating art. (gasps) Yeah. So this, this, this is spicy. This is spicy. I'm like, so, okay, so time comes for some change and stuff, like costuming and stuff, you know, there are... Oh, I'm interested to see how big of a change. Because you know how sometimes a show will say, we've reworked stuff, and then you'll go see and you're like, wait, what was different? I don't get it. But that, mm-hmm. cutting down the orchestra by almost half and digitizing it. No, people live for this shit. I don't want to go to a show and be like, oh, cool, that's like the backing track version. Well, to an extent, Summer Phantom was already digitised. The classic or- yeah, the course. classic organ opening as the chandelier rises mm. until the full orchestra kicks in is all digitised mm-hmm. and pre-recorded, purely because I believe yeah. that synthesizer patch no longer is sold on commercial models. Plus, also, you can't... It's probably pretty hard to just, like, casually have an organ just sitting in the um, orchestra pit. Well, it depends how many pants they're wearing. That was nothing. That was bullshit, Ed that out (laughs) i will say reducing the orchestra is a little frustrating as um i mean even in in sydney there's been controversy over a chorus line using when a chorus line was going on about using backing tracks and it takes a lot of like for example broadway is pretty much the main stage that any musician any performer wants to be is on broadway and if broadway can't can't make enough have a full orchestra then we have a bit of a problem yeah. and and then it's taking that magic away broadway at this point hasn't said they're doing anything with the orchestra so we haven't heard anything yeah. from the majestic yet this is all yeah. from the west end but like I, I i agree exactly what you're saying though eliza like but broadway and the west end are kind of the big players and to be, you're also like, you got to keep in mind, we're coming out of a pandemic and almost straight away you're going, cool, let's take away some more jobs. I get that also when it comes to like saving money and stuff like that, because to be fair, COVID did hit mm. pretty hard. And you know yeah. what, theatre in on the West End opened for all of, because I'm a big follower and, and lover of Carrie Hope Fletcher, who was in Les Mis. I'm not, I don't believe that she'll now be going back because I believe her run is now over. Um, but yeah, they were open for all of, I think, maybe 10 days. They closed, were open for, like, 10 days, and it was, like, this big thing with Cameron McIntosh again, like, having this big, like, reopening of theatre and it being so exciting, and within 10 days, they were shut down again. So they have lost so much money. So I kind of get it from that point of view, but also from the point of view of making changes to the show... Is that a necessary change? Because you lose some of that live theatre magic by going, 
yeah, let's have exactly like what you were saying, Liza, about a chorus line. Mm. You lose a part of the magic of the show by taking away such huge... And it's not like they're going, cool, we're going to take it from 27 down to... 20 or like... 25. We're going to, you know, a couple of those instruments that, you know, are harder to find people for. For I don't know if that if that is a thing or not, but like, you know, it's harder to find someone who can play this instrument. Let's digitize those. You know, we can reduce that a little bit. By taking it down by almost half... You lose, you're going to lose such an authenticity, I feel, to the sound as well. Mm. I mean, the major changes to the show are the direction, the choreography, and the design. As I noted earlier, all three of the minds behind those sections have now passed. Maria Bjornsson in 2002, Gillian Lynn in 2018, Hal Prince in 2019. So... Major changes to the, yeah anymore. changes to the design started happening <sighs> in 2019 yeah. off the top of my head after Beyonce had passed. But then as soon as Lynn and Prince have sadly left us, it seems like the changes are then being made again. So I'm yeah. just intrigued at the timing behind it. I guess also mm. taking the show off the stage during a pandemic is going to give you the time and energy necessary to make such huge changes, but... Again, it's just inspired a lot of uh, conversation and a slight controversy in the Phantom fandom, I suppose you can call it. A lot of people are saying, hey, I don't want to see this version of the show. I don't want anything else. But which I can see the the purism behind it. I can understand that, having seen that version myself. But I'm also like, hey, it's still going to sound amazing and it'll probably still look amazing. Yeah, I don't, I can't imagine them making incredibly huge changes. Like, look, that might be wishful thinking. I don't know. But I feel like also, you know, when you have that moment where you are like coming from writers. So we, I believe all dabble. I I know, Gareth, you less so dabble and more so you do write. But when you, you know, when sometimes you just sit with something a little bit too long, like you've put something aside and you're like, cool, cool, cool. Like, I, I don't have to think about that right now. And you sit there going, wait, but oh, maybe I, maybe I should like, I don't know. Does this, does this need to be changing? And you could be ruining a perfectly great thing by making those changes. But I want to think, I really want to think that they're not going to make any huge drastic changes, but I could be like completely wrong. No, like I'm not expecting, I'm not expecting the Phantom to come out on stage in a mariachi outfit. I'm not expecting Raoul to be dressed as a giant teddy bear. Like, we're not going to be super drastic with it. We still have an aesthetic to fit. And I think it could be refreshing for the show to change up a few things. Art is entirely subjective. It's an ever-evolving thing. I mean, we can look at the entire nature of the musical theatre industry to mm. prove that. I'm I'm still annoyed yeah. about the orchestra that. reduction because, you know, musicians, it's kind of the lifeblood of the thing. But I guess we'll see what happens. I guess the thing that is also probably a bit jarring for the community is... The fact that these amazing creatives have passed on and and it's not like they have really had an input into um, who is going to be taking over and and also ma- maintaining their own legacy within it. I think that hopefully there is still there is still some aspects yeah. of it that stay true to the original creatives um, because they aren't there to oversee to make sure that like what they their original product is you know, comes out in a new way, but is 
but is not taking away from the story. But then it, it lends itself to being like, okay, well, you're going to have new directions of every show. You'll go to, you, you know, you go to mm. some shows in Sydney and it'll be a total revamp and a total change. And that's exciting at the same time. So it's like, is there a place? It'll depend on what these changes are, but there's probably a place for the original work and there's probably a place for some of the newer stuff that they're bringing out in terms of set, direction, choreography. And there might be something new and exciting in there that no one has explored because they haven't changed that much. Yeah. Exactly. And people will always have that classic version of Phantom. DVDs Mm -hmm. and videos have existed for decades. For instance, the 25th anniversary, like people will go to that recording and say, this is the definitive. This is it. (laughs) And yeah, which to an extent it is. Ramin Karamu is delightful in Sierra Vargas. It makes me weep every time. But (laughs) yeah, so I'm, I'm interested to see what can be done with it. Yeah. Agreed, agreed. I feel like this is probably also partially my fault. I took us on a really weird tangent of the set design stuff. <laughs> um, and we are yet to even talk about the plot of the show. So Ooh. I think what we might do yes, is we might play our game, which I have created a little, little listening challenge. But I think we might play a little bit of a game and then we're going to jump into the actual plot things because I have a lot to say. We also do have some points about the sequel. Are we even going to get to that? Because again... I have so much to say. We might have to do a love. <laughs> we might, we might have to do a love never dies deep dive. We'll have to, we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see. But for now, we are going to jump into the game. Now I'm doing a little bit of a different game. We're doing a bit of a listening challenge where I'm going to give you each about five seconds at the beginning of the song. Some of them are less because let me tell you, there's not a lot of intro at the beginning of Phantom songs, which makes it hard because I don't know whether to keep, you know, you know, when someone goes, you know, <laughs> love never dies like that. Obviously, you know what that is. Um, yeah, that's Carousel, right? Anyway, I'm rambling. Yeah, Carousel. But it, these, these are all Phantom songs. <laughs> these are all Phantom songs. Um, but you're going to get five seconds, the first five or less of the song to guess what it is. Now, we're going to start, we're going to start with Eliza and Eliza. Oh, I feel like I've started with an easy one. So if you don't get this, I'm going to be mad. All right. Let's test my knowledge. Are you prepared? Let's hope, yes. let's hope this works. Do you know what that is called? Like the Phantom of the Opera? <laughs> Yay! You got it right. I feel like this is rigged. <laughs> it's not. Don't worry. Um, Are you ready? Three, two, one. That's just an introduction to a certain part of the show, and I can't for the life of me remember what it is because I'm so damn tired. Oh no! Oh no! My credentials! Oh no! My credentials! I mean, that's because that is obviously where in the world have you been hiding? Because that that piece shows up so many times in the show, and it's confusing because that's the sound of a certain other song. It is. That's where in the world have you been hiding? It also plays again when Christine kisses the Phantom at the end of the show, and that's definitely not that orchestration. That orchestration is... Oh, God. You know what? I'm just going to take the L on that one. It's the end track. Oh! 
Ontract. Ontract. That's you know, I, I said it quietly for a reason. <laughs> no, I'm just trying. I'm just trying to save face here because I ruined face, that face, so horribly. So fine. I just got the face of the opera. So you know what, Gareth, you did well. <laughs> All right. You know what? I quit. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> Eliza. I've got to be quick yes. to cut this one off. <laughs> Think of me. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> See how hard that is? That's I literally mean, two seconds. I mean, if you want to get technical, if you want to get technical, that's Carlotta's version of Think of Me. Oh. Because that's when she gets told to just get up and sing. So you are both on. Oh no! <laughs> Gareth, there's no points. <laughs> I was not expecting to be the, the winner here. Oh, so yeah. Well. So yet. far, so far. Hey, hey, look, I've, I'm already turning in my equity card. I'm done as an actor right. after this. <laughs> Gareth, this one you will get, I just know. All right, this one I also have to be really quick on, so. It's Masquerade. It I, I think you're just playing me the entire act <laughs> two now. <laughs> no, 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 no. That is indeed Masquerade. Uh, let me... I've changed. I have changed indeed. Oh, no. And this one will probably be harder or could be easier. I don't know. It's always hard to tell with you, Eliza. Oh, so, all right. Let's find out. Here we go. And I will give you five seconds because I still don't know if you'll be able to figure it out. Something with music. Am I right? Is there music in the title? Something with music, but that's but that's not the name of the song. Oh, God. It has music in the oh, title, but God. that's not the full title, girl. Uh, something of music. It's something of music. That's not... That's, it's something you of music. He didn't give me the full title. It's Angel of Music. Oh! Yep. <laughs> Which is pretty much who the, the Phantom is. is to Christine. The Angel of Music. I'm putting my resignation in. The final one. Will this be? Oh, no. We're going to have to do another one because otherwise you're going to be tied if you get this right, Gareth. That's okay. I don't know the names of the track, but that's the opening of the show. That's the overture, I suppose. No, it's not the The overture. The entire piece is called the overture. The next one is called the overture. This is called the prologue. <gasps> You're a prologue. Oh, okay. you gave, opening and prologue you gave mean exactly the same ones. thing. Okay, okay. I'm gonna give you both. You both got those, so those are you both on two. Also, not a song. Like I cannot stress that enough. That is decidedly not just because a song. I didn't plan this game very well doesn't mean you can attack me for it. <laughs> this is your final moment. This is your final moment. This is a tiebreaker. All right. So I will play the five seconds. I will then say, go. Whichever of you screams at me first gets to tell me what it is. And if you don't get this, I'll be very upset. Okay. Okay. Three, two, one. Overture. Overture. (laughs) It's a tie. I can't. It's a tie. Yeah. You both started screaming at me overture whilst I was playing it. It's a tie. Yeah. If you want to get if you want to get pedantic, it was plagiarized from Pink Floyd's Twelve Tones. Controversy. Mm. That, that is true. I do though, but I need to make a point. I need to make a point. <laughs> oh god. Raoul did deserve better, you guys. Yeah. He deserved better. Raoul got exactly what he deserved. Oh. No. Okay. In Love Never Dies, yes. 
in yeah. Phantom of the Opera. No! What do you mean he gets what he deserves well in Love Never Dies? Dinner. He's written as an alcoholic gambling addict and then his wife dies. Yeah, he loses his love. He loses the one thing that he was trying to protect because he's an idiot. Yeah, how... How does he deserve that? By being an overbearing butthead, the technical term. Gareth <laughs> wants to say something. No, I don't. I'm just fuming with rage. Raoul deserved better. Raoul was so kind. Raoul tried to protect Christine in Phantom and tried to do it in not an overbearing way. I mean, I'd like... I think that Raoul did make some poor choices. But also, I do feel, in saying that Rao deserved better, Christine deserved better than both of them. I agree. Well, that's my point. Christine is ultimately the object of two obsessive men who treat her as if they are Mm -hmm. in an abusive relationship. One of the first things that Rao does is remind her of their childhood together, then says, now you shall come to supper. But she says, no, I don't want to. I have to stay here. Oh, I shan't keep you long. And doesn't take her choice into account. Mm. The Phantom then turns Mm. up and terrifies the shit out of Christine, doesn't take her choices into account, and just says, love me, sing for me, my angel. And that continues throughout the whole show. Christine is a victim. Uh, As well as the fact that the Phantom lies as well by putting on this persona, whilst it may have never been intended to be this, in her eyes, angel of music, once... Eric isn't made aware of this angel of music, just kind of goes, oh yeah, this is an easy way. This is an easy in. I don't have to explain nothing. I feel like also, dependent on how every production is acted by the actor and interpreted by the actor playing these two roles, can actually come across really differently. Because I feel like I've seen Phantom where I really don't like Rao at all, and I I really don't vouch Mm. for him or care too much about him. But there's been other productions where I'm like, oh no, I really see the love there, and I understand a bit more of his character. So I feel like there is definitely a place of interpretation and um, more an actor's input into what they believe it is because it will always come across however that person portrays that character. You can either be sympathetic to them or not. Oh, yeah. like Yeah, I I agree. And I feel like, I don't know, there's just something about... Raoul seems quite a bit nicer to me in the film version. I actually agree with that. Like, it feels like a nicer person, like more Mm -hmm. caring towards Christine and less possessive. Like, there's still that possessive... Um, vibe, but it feels a little bit more kinder, like a little bit more kind, like, oh, we were childhood friends, let us speak together in a slightly pushy way. Whereas in the 25th anniversary, it is much more, like, I feel like Raoul as a character deserved a different ending, and you could take better in many different ways. Better could be that they, you know, live happily ever after, or better could be that, oh, well, he died. Um, but that, that, you know, that's just... I feel, you know. I feel like that's better for you, Tori. <laughs> better for me, yes. Better for Raoul, you know. <laughs> I think that the reason that people actually relate strongly to this show as well, I mean, I think Lloyd Webber has said something about this, is that people see themselves in The Phantom. Like, people want to alter their appearance. They always want to alter their appearance to, you know win something or they want to relate and that's I feel like that's part of the reason why people relate to the phantom is that they he's an underdog he's someone that you want to root for you want him to win in the end although he has some really horrible qualities which is is a little bit like mm, 
should, should, should they end up together? Definitely not. But oh, no. um, there's still a rooting for quality about that and a relatability in terms of like there might be something about your own your own appearance that you don't like and you feel like um, holds you back. So there's definitely that relation there that people w- want to see. And I mean, talking about the film, because honestly, you watch the 25th anniversary edition and then you watch the film. And I, I did that in like a span of a week because I just got really obsessed with Phantom. <laughs> oh, you made a horrible mistake. We, we did this together. We watched because I don't think I had seen the film I had it not was, seen the film. No. I had only seen the 25th anniversary. I've yeah. seen it live a, a few times, like, you know, Sydney. I think I honestly think Phantom was the first musical I ever saw live, which as probably like a seven-year-old child uh, might have been a little bit scary. <laughs> but, oh, my gosh, the film is so much worse. Oh, I've never seen Raoul with so much hair. I mean- we can say what we like about the movie. I think it's a bad representation of what Phantom can be, considering how much of it is spoken. Mm-hmm. But it's a great representation of every Joel Schumacher film that's ever been made. <laughs> like, if, like if you if you look at the rest of his back catalogue, it's like, oh yeah, there's elements of that in all of the Batman films he ever did. It's delightful. Yeah. Like it's it's so very it's... him and camp and ugh. It, yeah. Aesthetically wonderful, but not a good representation. No, definitely not a good representation, but I got to say it was kind of a little entertaining to watch and and be like, wow, this is uh I don't think the direction was particularly great on this one. <laughs> yeah, and that I think that I think was Schumacher's interpretation of what Phantom was. Yeah. So instead of being you still had you still had the opulence, you still had a whole bunch of really cool looking stuff. Like, oh my god, masquerade. Yeah, but then you had Carlotta rocking up in pink fur all the time. It's like, oh, this this is the energy we're bringing to this. It's fun. I feel like it's kind of this a similar energy, especially in terms of like the set design and the costuming, the same as like Bridgerton, how the colouring is all extremely vivid. and then you go, what would it actually have been quite so vivid then, or is that just more like a, a, a film interpretation technique and kind of the costuming for film just to make it pop that little bit more? Yeah, I, I always compare it to a knight's tale, if either of you have seen that one. Yes. Uh, early Heath Ledger film about jousting, oh, yeah. medieval jousting. It opens with an entire crowd of medieval peasants doing We Will Rock You. It's <laughs> fucking camp. Yeah, I think we're not going to have a lot more time to talk about stuff, unfortunately, because no. Miss Tor- Miss Tori has to go and get some science juice. I do. I do have to go get my, my science juice. I need to go get my let's not die in a pandemic uh, shot. Um <laughs> I think that we can do a part two to this where we discuss not only Phantom, but also the sequel that shall not be named. Because I only recently uh, had the opportunity to see Love Never Dies in the, um, you know, the show must go on when they released that. Yes, they, they would have released the Melbourne version. Yes, and I must say I was watching that going, what the fuck happened between Phantom and this <laughs> to create this like surely i kind of love it though i mean i have information about why it ended up the way it did but you know that could wait till part two. Ooh, cliffhanger that can wait that can wait because i also have so much to say about a certain meg um <sighs> but anywho i think we are i think we are going to have to wrap this wrap up for today up. but first and foremost welcome to our newest 
deep dive co-host Gareth Isaac. Round of applause for Gareth. Enter applause clip here. Thank you guys um. so much for having me. The check's in the mail, right? Yeah. It's on its way. <laughs> and also we will be putting up some polls on our Instagram for what deep dives you would like to see next. Obviously, we will be doing a part two on Phantom and Love Never Dies. Um, but what other deep dives do you want to hear? What do you want to hear us talk about? If there are any particular shows, like I believe that, you know, there are some, you know, Mean Girls, things like that that people have requested, but we shall put some polls up on our Instagram. Um, but yeah, visit our Instagram, our Facebook, our website. It's all Stage Door Podcast. But anyway, you guys, until next time, stay happy, healthy, and safe. We will see you later. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theatre community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theatre professionals, search the RISE Theatre Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheatre.org. That's theatre with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.